And so our Bible reading is going to be the same passage as we read last week. And you can never read enough of God's Word. So that was okay. So if you have a Bible, please turn with, you to, uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. And we're going to read from verse 5 through to verse 15. Matthew 6, verse 5. This is the Word of God. It says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you have need of before you ask him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven those, as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you have forgiven others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's uh, hard to read when you memorize the King James longer version and you're trying to read it in the ESV. We'll just uh, bow in a word of prayer and then uh, we'll turn to God's word together. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for your word and the privilege that is ours this morning to look at your word together, to see what you have to say to us. We thank you, Lord, that you have inspired it by your spirit, that you have preserved it, and Lord, that we have it in our hands this morning, Father. And I just pray that you will help us all to listen and to focus, help us at home as we uh, look at this screen. And I pray, Father, that you help me, pray that you empower me by your spirit, and Lord, that uh, as I speak, that you will be applying uh, your word to all of our hearts, Father. We look to you to be glorified and to be at work uh, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. And so, just as I start this morning, I'd like to uh, ask a few questions that we can ask of ourselves and, and think about these things. The first is, when we are in need of something, what is the first thing that comes to our mind? Is it, I need to work more hours so I can get more money, or is it, pray to God. When we are stuck and we need wisdom, what is our first port of call? Is it to call up our friend or is it to pray to God? Or if we were to write a list of things, one list would be all the things we can trust God for and a second list, all the things we cannot trust God for. I wonder, would anything make it onto that second list of things that we cannot trust God for. From our passage this morning, we, we see that we are to rely on God for all of our needs. 
And so the first port of call in any of these situations is to pray to God, to turn to Him. This morning, we'll be looking at the second half of the Lord's Prayer, which is found in verses 11 to 13. And as we know, this is Jesus giving this prayer to His disciples and teaching them to pray likewise. And so we could call this section, this, this second half, Trusting God for All Things. Last week, if you can remember, we looked at the first half and we saw that God was to be the focus as we're told to pray for his name to be hallowed or, or to be holy, for his kingdom to come and his will to be done. And this set the example for us, didn't it, that we're to put his kingdom first and his glory first above ourselves. And so this week then we see that, that though we are to have God's glory as a priority, Yet, our needs still matter and God still cares for us. And we know this because in these last three petitions, Jesus is telling us to pray for ourselves. And so from this prayer as a whole, we see that we are to be like little children. First off, we see that we are to submit to our Heavenly Father, like a child does to his father. And in this half, we see we are totally, to totally depend upon our Heavenly Father, just like a little child does their father. And so the first personal need that Jesus tells us to pray for this morning then is found in verse 11 and it says, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. And so Jesus is instructing his disciples here to pray for their daily provisions. When they heard this, no doubt it would have meant more to them in their context than it does to us in ours. They would have been more dependent upon God for their daily food than we sometimes seem to be. And we see numerous examples of this, don't we, throughout the Gospels. Many times went out fishing and they caught nothing. There were crowds there and they didn't have enough bread to feed people. But of course, God undertook and God provided. But there is also a safeguard in these verses against greed. They were to pray for what they needed each day and not for more than what they needed. It is thought that Jesus here in this verse is, is referring to or alluding to Proverbs chapter 30 verses 6 to 8, sorry, 8 to 9. And it says these words, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So they were to pray for what they needed so that they wouldn't fall into sin and steal, but they were also to not desire excess or to be greedy in case they become self-reliant and they no longer rely upon the Lord. And so we see a good example of this, don't we, when we look back in the Bible in Exodus and we look at the, the people of God in the wilderness and we see that they were totally reliant upon God for food as God rained down manna from heaven. And there wasn't any, any left over, and there wasn't anyone who had any need. Those that took more, it perished. And those who took just the right amount, that is what it was. It was just the right amount. However, in our day and age, we are, le we are faced with both dangers. The danger of being self-reliant and not dependent upon God, and the danger of being greedy and having an excess. We can easily become self-sufficient and forget that God is the one who has given us all things. 
as we fill our cupboards each week and we work hard, we can forget that it is God who blesses us with all of our good gifts and it all comes down from him and he enables us to have what we need and he provides for all that we need. But we can also become greedy, can't we? in our consumer culture, and we can have an abundance. And we're reminded of this greed and this, this simple tendency that we can have at the beginning of lockdown, weren't we, when all of a sudden uh, the supermarkets are empty because people have filled up their garages with pasta and toilet roll, and there's not even enough for uh, the next person coming along. And you see in videos and people are in the shops fighting as if you know, the end of the world has come, and you can't even have a pasta bake because there's no pasta. But as Christians, we have to be different, don't we, to the world around us. We have to act differently. And so we need to rely upon God for all that we need, at the same time guarding against excess, guarding against greed, something which is, of course, very difficult in our consumer culture. But whilst this verse is simply talking about food, we must not forget that God is a provider of all things. He provides us with food, he provides us with our houses, with our clothing, with our cars, with everything. It all comes down from the hand of our sovereign God. And so may we never forget that he is the one who has given us all things. He is the one we are to rely on and he is the one we are to praise and to thank. May we have the attitude of Job who recognised this so much so that when God took away what he had, he cried out, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But not only are we to seek God for our physical needs, so food and clothes, but also for our spiritual needs. And our greatest spiritual need, which is forgiveness of sin. And we see this in the next petition, which Jesus covers in the next verse. They are told to ask God to forgive their debts. And of course, this word debt here is referring to the debt of sin. So, though a person may sin against someone, all sin is against God. So I may do wrong to someone, I may sin against another person, but all sin is against our God. And so though a person may forgive themselves, you come across that fairly often when you're trying to share the gospel with someone and you tell them they need forgiveness and they say, well, I've forgiven myself what more do I need to do? Though a person may forgive themselves, or though they may be forgiven by the person they've wronged, yet they still need forgiveness by God, from God. And this forgiveness, of course, is only found in Jesus. The forgiveness of God is by grace alone, and we cannot earn it or merit it. It has been bought by Jesus, what he did upon the cross, and is only received as a gift from God. So this petition then shows that God is willing to forgive us. He's willing to forgive those that turn to him. And this is, of course, why Jesus tells his disciples to pray for God to forgive them. But it is also a reminder that the disciples themselves weren't sinless. They weren't perfect human beings. We went on to see that, that Thomas doubted Jesus and Peter denied him three times. The disciples weren't perfect and they needed to seek regular forgiveness from God. Of course, when someone is united to Jesus and they're found in him, their sins are forgiven, uh, past, present and future. Jesus died for the sins of his people and all their sin is paid for. We don't earn our salvation, we don't keep our salvation, it is all from God. But still, we see here that we are to pray for forgiveness 
And the reason is because it is in order to restore the relationship with God. I guess we can imagine it like a child disobeying their father. The, child, the, the father still loves his child and he is still his father, but yet the child needs to say sorry and ask for forgiveness. And it's in order to re- restore the relationship between the son and the father. And in the same way, the disciples were chosen by God, of course, except Judas, and they were, and, and they were already saved and nothing could change that, but yet they, yet they needed to seek forgiveness from God in order to restore the relationship when it had been damaged or hindered uh, through sin. And so from this verse, we see that the Christian life is a life of repentance. The Christian life is a life of repentance. Thomas Brooks, who was a well-known Puritan about 400 years ago, he once wrote this, Repentance is a continual spring where the waters of godly sorrow are always flowing. Repentance is a godly spring, is a continual spring where the waters of godly sorrow are always flowing. So this is what a Christian life is like. It's a continual act of repentance, seeking God for our sin, for forgiveness. But this is also how the Christian life begins, and we heard this last week, didn't we? If you're not a Christian this morning, then this is how you become one. By turning from your sin, which is what is called repentance, and by turning to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin. As I quoted J.T. Rowell last week, he once wrote, Do not lose out on heaven because you never asked God. Of course, salvation is from God alone. God is sovereign in salvation, but yet there is human responsibility, and we hear it in that quote there from J.T. Rowell. We need to seek forgiveness from God. But not only are believers to ask for forgiveness, but in order to become a believer, it begins by seeking forgiveness from God. By praying along with a tax collector in Luke 18, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And the final thing we see from this petition is that forgiveness is also required of us. You know, we want to receive God's forgiveness and we, and we want God to pardon our sin, but yet sometimes we're reluctant to forgive those who have done wrong to us. And yet Jesus says here, that we are to forgive others. He says, pray, forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And he taught this elsewhere, didn't he, in the, in the parable of the unjust servant. He, he begged his master to forgive him his debt, and he was forgiven a huge debt, and yet next minute he went out, and he, he had a servant or someone who owed him a small amount, and he was, he was unjust to him, he was unforgiving, and he threw him into prison. And then when, the, when his master heard this, he was, he was disgusted and he threw that man then into prison. And of course what we learn from this is that we are to forgive others. If we have been forgiven, then we are to forgive others. Of course, our forgiveness is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's all because of what Jesus has done. But yet this prayer, or one of the things this particular part of the prayer teaches us, is that if we have experienced God's forgiveness, if we have truly experienced his forgiveness, and we have peace with God, then we will forgive others. If we have been forgiven for our countless sins against God, and they are countless, we couldn't count it even if we tried our sins, then surely we can forgive those who have done one or two uh, bad things to us. And in fact, Jesus, when speaking to Peter, Peter says to him, how many times shall I forgive my brother? 
and Jesus says 70 times 7 or 77 times. That's how many times we're to forgive that person. And basically, Jesus is saying there's not a limit on it. We are to forgive those who have wronged us. And Jesus goes even further, doesn't he? And it's almost mind-boggling that he would say this, because salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. Uh, we cannot say that enough. We cannot you know, stand on that firm enough. But yet Jesus says here that if we do not forgive others, in verse 15, then neither will our Heavenly Father forgive us. So it is, it is paramount that we forgive those who have done wrong to us. So if we have bitterness in our heart towards anyone, our children, our parents, anyone, then we need to forgive them. And we need to, to seek God's help to forgive them. So the disciples were to pray for their daily bread. They were to pray for the forgiveness of sin. And finally, in the final petition, we see that they are to pray for protection from, from sin's temptation and the tempter himself. This is the second spiritual need the disciples are to pray for. And of course, as we see, it is the last petition of the Lord's prayer. We see this in the final verse, verse 13. And here again, there is a recognition of God's power. We see that, that he is the only one who can provide for all that we need. He is the only one who can forgive us our sin. And he is the only one who can keep us from falling into sin and protect us from the devil, from the evil one. So the disciples were to pray to God to protect them and keep them from temptation. And they were to pray this because they knew, and Jesus knew that it was God who led them. God is the one who directs our steps and leads us in the way in which we should go. And this is why we are to pray for God not to lead us into temptation, but to keep us from it. And now it's true, of course, that, that God does not tempt anyone, and neither can he be tempted with evil. That's what it says in the epistle of James, and we believe the whole Bible. But God does allow the devil to tempt us for one reason or another. God does permit it for one reason or another. And we see this with Jesus, don't we? the sinless Son of God who never gave in to any temptations, yet God allowed him to be tempted. And it was after his baptism, and we know it was God's will for this to take place, because the, the Bible specifically says this, it says Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. So the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness, and it says these words, in order to be tempted by the devil. And so God has a purpose in the temptations of his people, and he always offers a way out. The Bible says that there is always a way out and he is able to keep us from temptations. And we know this because not only are the disciples to pray for God to keep them from temptation, but also to help them overcome temptation. To overcome the evil one or evil. They're both uh, valid translations of the Greek. And so the devil may be powerful, but God is all-powerful. Many people have the view that, that the devil and God are two equal forces and they're at war together. But the Bible teaches a very different story. The devil is a defeated foe and Jesus is the victor. The devil is on a leash, as, as it were, and he can only do what God permits him to do. He is a created being. He is finite and God is infinite. And we see this in the book of Job, don't we? The devil could only do what God, by his sovereign hand, permitted the devil to do. 
It was God who brought up to the devil Job. He says, have you considered my servant Job? Why would God say that if he didn't want or permit or choose for these things to happen? And then he says, only do this, but don't, but don't touch him. Only do this, but don't kill him. The devil is a defeated foe, and against God, he is powerless. And so, not only can God forgive us our sin, not only can he protect us from temptations, but he can also protect us from the evil one. God is able to keep us from stumbling into sin. He's able to protect us from the devil's fiery darts. And as we see here, Jesus instructs us to pray to God uh, over these matters. We have no excuse for sin. And temptation can always be overcome, as the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, that God always offers a way out. And now this doesn't mean that we're going to be sinless this side of eternity, there is the biblical balance we're told to turn from sin, but yet the Bible also affirms that we will have the struggle with sin. The Apostle Paul shows us this in Romans 7, doesn't he? When he, he shows that there is a battle with sin and he cries out, O wretched man that I am, who shall save me from this body of sin or this body of flesh? And he says, I praise God through Jesus Christ. The fact that we have the battle with sin, it shows that we have the spirit because if we didn't have the spirit, we won't be fighting sin but we would be indulging in sin. Charles Spurgeon is helpful on this, on this battle and, and the presence of it in a believer's life. When he was preaching on Romans 8, he once said these words, We once heard a friend say, I got out of the seventh of Romans into the eighth. So the man's saying, I'm basically sinless and I don't struggle with sin anymore. And Spurgeon replies, he says, Nonsense. There is no getting out of the one into the other, for they are one. The field is not divided by hedge or ditch. I thank God with all my heart that since my conversion, I have never known what it is to be out of the seventh of Romans, nor out of the eighth of Romans either. The whole passage has been a solid truth in my experience. I have struggled against inward sin and rejoiced in complete justification at the same time. And so the battle with sin is a normal Christian experience. And the fact that we're battling with sin shows that we're Christians, shows that we have been born again. Because as I said a moment ago, if there isn't a battle, then we haven't been made new. Rather, we'll be indulging in sin, a sign that someone has not been made alive in Christ. But we also saw in the previous point, didn't we, that, well, this is confirmed by the previous point because they're told to ask for forgiveness of their sin. So we're not going to be sinless Though we're told to uh, pray against temptation, we're told to God to keep us from the evil one. And we know this because the, the, the previous point says that we're to seek forgiveness for our sin. But we also saw last week, and this is the balance. There's always the balance in the Bible. The Bible sometimes presents two uh, ideas or truths that we can't always reconcile. And this is the balance that, that though we're going to struggle with sin, yet God calls us to be holy and we're to be putting sin to death. Last week we saw that if God is our Heavenly Father, then we too are to be holy because He is holy. And so the need for us then is to be putting sin to death on a regular basis, turning from sin, uh, putting steps in place to ensure that we don't sin. So if we struggle with drunkenness, don't go to the pub, don't go out drinking. If we struggle with the internet, get rid of our smartphone or our laptop or our internet connection. If we struggle with gossip, Make sure that we leave the room when this takes place. All the while following Jesus' commands in this prayer. 
praying for God by his grace to protect us from temptation, praying for God to give us strength to overcome it, and when we do fall into sin, praying for God to forgive us our sin as we turn to him in repentance. We need to be turning from sin, but at the same time when we fall into sin, not thinking I'm the worst person in the world, am I even a Christian? The fact that we're battling with sin shows that we are. And we have to get up and keep looking to the Lord, turn to him for forgiveness and press on in the good fight. And so what these three final petitions show us then is that we are to rely on God for all things, every single thing. We are to rely on him for our physical needs. We are to rely on him for our spiritual needs. He is our great provider. And we are to trust him for all that he gives us and thank him for all that he gives us. And we are also to rely on him for our spiritual needs, the forgiveness of sin, and of course to keep us from temptation, to keep us from falling into sin. We need to remember that, that salvation is by grace alone, it's not of ourselves, it is all of God. We also need to remember that we're to be turning from sin and seeking God to help us overcome temptation and overcome the evil one. And as I said, I'll say it again, this doesn't mean we're going to be sinless, but it means that we're to be turning from sin. And as Jude says in his benediction, God is able to keep us from stumbling. We're to turn to God for help to lead holy lives. Mary Slessor, who was a missionary from Aberdeen to Calabar in Africa, is a great example of relying upon God for everything. She trusted God for all she needed physically. She, she trusted him for protection from the dangers in the jungle. And she trusted him for the building of his kingdom there in Calabar. And she once wrote these words. She said, My one great consolation and rest is in prayer. Indeed, my life is one long daily, hourly record of answered prayer. And so the reason why she could say this, the reason why she could say that her life was one long, hourly, daily record of prayer is because she prayed. She relied upon God for everything and she prayed to God, totally dependent upon him. And so may we do the same. May we realise that we cannot, we cannot get on without relying upon God, that we are not self-sufficient, and may we never think we are. May we never be self-sufficient, praying little and worrying much, but rather may we obey the words of the Apostle Paul who wrote, Be anxious for nothing, but in all things by prayer and supplication make your requests known to God. May we seek God for our food. May we seek him for the forgiveness of our sin, which of course is only found in Christ. And may we seek him for the protection from temptation and the tempter himself. From the Lord's Prayer then, we, we see that whether we say it word by word or we follow its example, we see that we are taught to be totally submitted to God, to surrender everything to him. As we pray for God's name to be hallowed, hallowed for his kingdom to come and for his will to be done. We're to submit and surrender everything to God, as we saw last week. But we're also to be totally reliant upon him for all that we need, as we pray for our daily bread, the forgiveness of our sin and protect, protection from temptation. And so let's not just say the Lord's Prayer, as I'm sure we can all say off by heart, but let's pray the Lord's Prayer. And say along with Mary Slessor that my one great consolation in life is prayer. 
May we not just come to church on a Sunday, but may we be praying Christians, praying for ourselves, our world, and praying for God to be glorified through it all. For God is the only one who can meet our needs, both, both physical and spiritual. He alone is our provider, and he alone is our saviour. May we pray much and worry little as we turn to our Lord. I heard an illustration this morning on a video, and I'll just share this before I close. It's a man, and he's saying, it all depends whose hands it's in. And he has a basketball, and he holds it, and he says, if I have this in my hands, it's worth a few dollars. He's, he's American. But he says, if, 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 if Michael Jordan holds it, it's worth millions. He's got a golf club. He says, if this is in my hands, it's worth, what, $50. If, if Tiger Woods holds it, it's worth $80 million. He says, if I have a few nails in my hands, I could probably put a picture up, make a birdhouse. But if they're in Jesus' hands, they can bring salvation and make us right with God. He says, if you have your troubles, if you have all your worries in your hands, that's all they are, worries and troubles, and nothing will be able to be done about it. But if you put them into God's hands, then God can intervene, and God can work, and everything can change. And so may we take everything out of our hands and put them into God's hands, praying for him, trusting him, trusting him for all things. For as I just said, he alone is our provider and he alone is our saviour. Let's pray.